Good morning, dear friends and colleagues. So happy to have you with us again in Ausconi. Today, I have the pleasure and the honor to introduce Tima Otu-Anbana to you for the second time in this uh, series. Uh, Tima was kind enough to join us more or less exactly a year ago on the 6th of April, 2020. She was one of the very first respondents to my questions here. Tima is um, a member of our team at the Department of Innovation and Digitalization in Law at the University of Vienna. Her background is obviously law. She is a South African research associate at University of Vienna. She received an LLM in international business from Tilburg University in the Netherlands. And she is, as she writes, characterized by an enthusiasm to ensure the evolution and development of the legal order in the face of increasing technological advancements, especially on the African continent. And it's not just her writing this, I can emphasize this. It's really, really a privilege to have her in the team and to work with her on a daily basis inside and outside projects. Tina, thank you so much for again, taking the time to bring us up to date about the situation in South Africa. How is the situation, briefly speaking, in South Africa at the moment? Well, firstly, thanks for having me and thanks for the nice introduction. <laughs> um, the situation in South Africa coming out of 2020, I will say has gotten a lot better. As of yesterday, we only had 424 new cases. And as you know, we had a period where we were struggling with the new variants that came up about towards the end of last year, beginning of this year. So at that stage, hospitals were at capacity, you know, things were really difficult, but in a few months, things seem to have turned around. And right now the country is at level one, which is the lowest level um, in terms of the lockdown five level scheme that we have. Mm -hmm. So this means that restaurants and shops, businesses are open for the most part, um, but there's a curfew from uh, midnight until 4 a.m. and all establishments have to be closed by 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. We still have the mask mandate, of course, and social distancing rules are still in place, but for the most part, economic activity is starting again, which is quite positive, and um, the cases are slowly going down. Mm -hmm. And is this because of the vaccines and the vaccination, or is what is the reason for this development, or is it unclear why it's getting so much better? I think, to me, it's quite unclear because because of the way things have opened up, um, it's quite interesting that the numbers are going down, but I think it's because in the December period and at the beginning of January, we had another lockdown. Mm -hmm. So we're just kind of coming out of a lockdown and kind of seeing how that lockdown had an impact on the numbers. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to get the numbers down to a certain period after the lockdown and then open things back up slowly. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what South Africa has done, opened up in different levels, and now we're at level one, which is almost at fully open. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and when, when you look into the lockdowns, I assume that there were all kinds of legal uh, challenges coming with those. Uh, what is the situation in this field? I think um, the legal challenges have been quite interesting because the government has had to deal with a few cases coming from different sectors of society. So we have some cases from opposition parties, as you would expect, cases from businesses. Um, it's really interesting. There's a specific case from the biggest opposition party in South Africa, the Democratic Alliance, and they are specifically um, questioning the legality or the constitutionality of the actual act itself that the government 
um, uses as the legal basis for the lockdown. So that's the Disaster Management Act. And their argument is that Section 27 of this act, which allows the government basically to make laws in the event of a natural disaster, which in this case was the coronavirus and the government made laws which were the lockdown regulations. They're arguing that that section is unconstitutional because it essentially goes against the separation of powers between the different branches of government, right? So the argument is that um, this section gives legislative powers to the executive and essentially removes the checks and balances that other branches of government would have to look at laws being created. So it's basically giving the executive this lawmaking power, which mm. they are arguing was not the intention of the constitution. Mm -hmm. And okay. so sorry, is it decided already or is it still pending? No, so currently the matter is being um, heard at the high court. Mm -hmm. Originally they petitioned the constitutional court to hear the matter straight away without having to go up the ranks, but the constitutional court decided not to take the matter on straight away and told them to start going mm -hmm. up the ranks. So currently the matter is at the high court. So it will be interesting to see how that unfolds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any more cases to report? Another interesting one is um, a case by the South African Breweries Association. Mm -hmm. I think what was quite unique about our lockdown as opposed to other countries is it came with an alcohol ban. So we were under lockdown, but alcohol and cigarettes were completely banned mm -hmm. at different levels of the lockdown. So we had three alcohol bans in the space from 20, from the beginning of 2020 up until now. And the alcohol associations, of course, lost a lot of money and it impacted them quite severely economically. So the South African Breweries Organization is taking the government to court um, on the basis that these lockdowns violated their constitutional rights of freedom of trade and human dignity and they're also arguing that there was not enough evidence that the government presented to show that alcohol had such a massive impact on mm -hmm. the virus or the spread of the virus so that matter is also still being heard at the western cape high court and yeah it'll be interesting to see how that develops because that would probably have a lot of implications on what the government can do going forward if they have to continue imposing lockdowns and things like that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. How is the situation at the universities? So at this stage, universities are partially open. So um, all learning and teaching is still being done online. However, the residences are open. So some students can live on campus, but they're not necessarily able to go to physical lectures mm -hmm. um, and exams and things and all assessments are still being done online. So at this stage, everything is open, but still online unless absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. um, I know that some of my friends who are in med school, they still have like their clinical practicals are, are being done in person. Mm -hmm. So apart from unique situations like that, mostly everything is online. So legal education in particular is mostly online then? Yes. Yeah. And the exams as well? Yes, exams are online at this stage, um, but the academic year just started now in March. Mm -hmm. So they universities are adopting what they're calling a blended learning approach. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of um, doing a little bit of both. So where it's necessary, it's okay to have um, in-person contact, like in the clinical practicals and things like that. Mm -hmm. And where it's not, then everything's online. But because our final examinations only happen 
in October, November, I think they're going to kind of see how things play out the rest of the year with the rollout of the vaccine and everything, and then make mm -hmm. decisions on whether to have the mm -hmm. final exams in person. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the the the, the vaccines because uh, the the situation in South Africa was rather specific there because of the uh, mutation in particular and the outcome of the uh, of the or or the impact of the of the mutation on the eff efficacy of the different uh, vaccines. So how is the situation when it comes to vaccination campaigns? Yeah. So at first it was um, we had bought a bunch of AstraZeneca vaccines and then the new variant was found. So it was, the government was in quite a difficult position because it came to be known that this AstraZeneca vaccine would not be sufficient in the face of this new variant. So those vaccines had to be sold to other African countries through the African Union Vaccine Task Force. And then South Africa then embarked on um, finding and sourcing new vaccines. So what we have now is bit of a mixture. Um, we have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and that's the one that everyone is kind of on the consensus that it's proven to be more effective against the South African variant. So the country has secured um, 11 million doses of this, and that's now being administered to healthcare workers and people who are working in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are. So that's phase one of the rollout plan. And then phase two will be other essential workers and people living in congregated living settings, like old age homes and things like that, and persons over the age of 60, and then persons with underlying conditions. And then phase three will be the rest of the population. So the plan is to have 67% of the population vaccinated by the end of this year. Okay. So yeah. two thirds in the next eight months then. Okay, that looks- yeah. It's gonna be a big task because mm -hmm. from what I'm hearing from my friends who are doctors and who have already gotten their vaccines, they're saying that the process is quite chaotic, that you'll get a date and then a few days later, the date will be canceled. You have to have another date and like the system crashes. So some of the things that we experienced here when mm -hmm. organizing our vaccines, I think South Africa has also had those same issues, but the rollout is happening. Yeah, and and the vaccination is happening on a voluntary basis, or are people obliged to get uh, the vaccination? From what I understand, it's on a voluntary basis, mm -hmm. but I think for healthcare workers, there might be a slight obligation. Yeah. But for the rest of the society, it's on a voluntary basis. And is this an issue? I mean, are people uh, reluctant in getting the vaccine? I don't think so. From what I'm seeing online, I think South Africans are rather quite keen to get the vaccine and um, keen to get life back to normal, as um, mm -hmm. people are saying. So I haven't seen like massive anti-vaccine protests or things like that happening. Mm -hmm. um, I think people are just interested to know if there will be enough for everyone. Mm -hmm. I think that's more the concern right now because um, I think African countries will a little bit left out when the vaccines were getting purchased and things like that. So people are concerned if we will be able to have enough doses and if the government will be able to facilitate, you know, the storage and the transport to areas where it might be a little bit more remote and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. And the storage of some of the vaccines is, I mean, from a technical point of view, not easy because you, you need to store them with very low temperatures and 
I would imagine that this is from an infrastructural point of view, not always very easy to, to guarantee. Uh, yeah, not at all, especially yeah. if you're going to more remote parts of South Africa, where yeah. a huge population of people still live in, you know, villages or remote areas where these facilities are not readily available. So it's difficult. I think the government has to quite try, try and figure out how to make sure that the vaccines are okay in doing that or how to transport people from one place to another to receive the vaccine. So logistically, I think that's more the concern that everyone has is more the logistics of how everything's going to be figured out. Yeah. So I think perhaps when we get to phase three, that might be when we see if the government's plans are really going to be foolproof because phase three is when they're trying to reach the vast majority of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are, are they considering to buy the Russian or the Chinese vaccine? Or will it only be the mainstream European slash American Right now, it's looking quite mainstream. I mean, so the we are involved in the COVAX um, yeah. facility vaccine, which is the World Health Organization and other bilateral um, organizations. Um, then we are also getting some vaccines from the African Union Vaccine mm. Acquisition Task Team. And then we have 20 million doses from Pfizer. Mm -hmm. So right now, that's kind of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's see whether it stays like this. It will be interesting to see whether the Chinese or the Russian manufacturer tries to enter the African market. I, mean, I know the Chinese and the Russians have donated um, vaccines to other countries, mm. other African countries like Ghana and um, Nigeria, for example, have received some vaccines from Russia and um, mm. the Chinese. And also the, the United Arab Emirates has also donated some vaccines. So I think they're definitely already in the African market, just not maybe not necessarily in South Africa from my reading, at I least see. from my understanding mm -hmm. as of yet. I see. Yeah. I see. Tima, about reading, is there any resource or any website or anything that you would like to explicitly recommend for people who are more interested to the details in South Africa and COVID-19? Yeah, I think the best place would be to go to um, the South African government website. Mm. I think that's where you will have more up-to-date things on what their plans are with the vaccine and the rollout and things like that. Um, also, it might be interesting to go to some of the, the um the sites of the opposition parties, for example, like the Democratic Alliance website has a lot of details about their legal case. They they put everything from the affidavits that they filed to all the steps that they're taking with all the legal cases um, dealing with the lockdown regulations. So that might also be an interesting place to look if you're more interested in the legal side. Perfect. We will put this into the show notes. Uh, very last question from my view, Tima. When we did this a year ago, uh, everything was very new. And also your, your online presence was relatively new. That has changed quite significantly because you are one of the co-hosts of another uh, podcast and video podcast that we are doing called Us Equi. Um, I am. I must say, I'm very proud about this, and I'm. I'm very happy to have this um, as part of all our initiatives. Would you kindly, briefly, give us an outlook about what you are planning with Ars Equi in the next year, and whether we could do a similar interview in a year about Ars Equi then? Of course, we would love that. So Ars Equi is a podcast that I do with uh, my colleague and friend Paul, and basically, it's a podcast on all things at the intersection of law and technology. And it's really directed at everybody. So it's not 
super legal and it's not very technical all the time. We try to make it as easy as possible for everyone to, quite, to kind of understand what's going on and things that they should be concerned about. So we will be releasing a new episode this week, um, which is going to focus on all the conversation around the new Facebook, the Facebook breaches, the recent ones that happened and just kind of our perspective. But outside of that, we are doing a series called Tech for Good, which is focusing on talking to entrepreneurs and founders who are really leveraging technology to kind of bring about social or economic or political impact all over the world. So we have an episode where we talked to two guys, um, one founder from South Africa and a founder from Germany about gender-based violence issues and their technological solutions to that. So mm-hmm. we would really love it if people tune in and check it out because it's really a lot of fun and I think it's quite interesting. Absolutely, it is, it is. Tima, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to our listeners out there. Have a wonderful day and all the best. And let's hope that we have another interview with Tima in a year. And let's hope that COVID is then just another episode to talk about and not that important anymore. Thank you so much, Tima. Take care. Thank you.